to module one for ES46560 race class empire the olympics i'm your host and professor dr courtney cox um, and so in this first module we think about the various ways that the olympics can be read as either an opiate or an opportunity and in placing the redeker piece um, side by side with jules boykoff's introduction to power games i want to think about um both how Redeker is rethinking um, the idea of the opiate for the people that sport presents, especially sports um, within the Olympics, um, and Boykoff's questioning of that particular logic, right? He thinks of it less so uh, as an opiate um, of the people um, as much as an opening, right, an opportunity for us to um, rethink the political processes that we experience on the everyday. As you may know by now, the Olympics have been postponed until 2021 due to the obviously more than 375,000 cases of coronavirus globally. This has affected athletes' ability to train, travel, and otherwise prepare for the Games. Obviously, a global event that brings people from all over the world could definitely do the opposite of flattening the curve. The IOC has said that it will take place no later than summer 2021 but we'll keep the name Tokyo 2020. So this week I invite you to begin thinking about what this means. We'll discuss this in depth um, completely in our second module um, where we'll focus on sport in a time of coronavirus and think about um, previous Olympic games that have been held in Tokyo and what Tokyo um, represents in terms of the larger Olympic history and what this current moment um, means for us that's kind of uncharted territory. There have been three Olympic Games that have been canceled previously, all due to war. Um, but I really want to think about um, what it means in terms of a global pandemic shutting down the Olympic Games. Okay, but first, let's take it back. In Robert Redeker's piece from 2008, he talks about the myth and illusion of sport as a tool of foreign diplomacy, writing that we're all duped in the dream of unity under the Olympics. I think one of the important things to think about, um, I think if there's anything to take away from this first module, is the interconnectedness of sport and society that is impossible to untangle from one another. You know, even the IOC is forced to acknowledge that, quote, sport is not an isolated island in the sea of society. Um, and that's kind of growth for the IOC and thinking about, I want to use the term IOC, I just want to be very clear, International Olympic Committee um, that oversees the Olympic Games. And so in many ways to understand that sport cannot be this one thing that we completely separate from society or, or typically this idea of politics being separate, taking politics out of sport, um, it's something that's really impossible to do because like anything else we do, right? Um, when we eat food, food is political. You know, there's this way that the political nature of the life that we live currently um, is always uh, entrenched in a larger ideological um, framework. And so in many ways, if you take nothing else away from the first week, it's about being able to understand that interconnectedness. Redeker does something that happens a lot in terms of sports literature and talking about um, the relationship 
of sport to religion and it's understanding sport as a religion. Um, and so this opium of the people quote becomes a really important piece for both Redeker and Boykoff in the introduction to power games. And that's largely because one of the things about um, this in particular, thinking about um, this Marx quote, right? That religion is the opium of the people. Um, in many ways that then becomes sport is the opium of the people. It's a thing that keeps us from focusing on what we should be focusing on, right? Our own freedom, our emancipation from the chains of capitalism, right? And instead of that, we all have the distraction, right? This red is the distraction, this drug. We're addicted to sport. We're addicted to religion in a particular way. And so sport, this thing that's spilled over into everyday life that Redeker says, influences how we quote unquote perform. So now it's no longer, he says, um, about the traditional virtues of honesty or courage, he says, but by a quote, capacity to perform more or less well. That men and women um, have been registered as folks, he says, um, no longer measured by these traditional virtues, end quote. Now sport has seeped over. It's not that politics are influencing sport, but sport is also influencing how we move in our daily life. We're seen as performers. We're measuring ourselves against our previous achievements. He says that sports has changed culture. And in many ways, um, you know, Boykoff saying, on the other hand, you know, culture changes sport too, right? So this idea, there's a symbiotic, both of them are offering the reasons that sport influences how we do everything, the phrases that we use, right? But also there's a way that culturally we impact how sport is read, how it operates, who can play, when they play, how the game is played, what's seen as the right way to play, for example. Redeker says, you know, sport isn't the opiate of people, Sport is the opiate of the state, of states themselves, of countries, right? Sports are no longer a means, he says. Sports have become an end. You know, during the Cold War, for example, is used, you know, sports become a battlefield. So there are actual battlefields during the Cold War all around the world between the USSR and the United States. There are literal lives, you know, literal lives are at stake. But there's also the way that the sporting space is its own kind of bloodless battlefield. And thinking about that, the opium of states, he says, is this idea that the Olympics and other mega sporting events, whether it's the World Cup, for example, are thought to give access to power and visibility in a particular way, which is why these countries buy in both to send their athletes to the Olympics, right, at great expense, or to host them at even greater expense, to host an Olympic game. He speaks again, returning to this idea of sport as religion. He says the difference between sports and religion is that with sports, there's no idea and arguably no ideal with an L. And I really want to push back and think about whether or not that's true, which is something that we'll say is like, why do we care about sports so much, right? He's saying there's this, this empty idea, empty ideal of sport. Whereas Jules Boykoff, who is a former um, athlete, is saying, I think there's something more here. When he thinks about what the opium of the people, quote, means in terms of Marx pointing out this relationship to religion, he importantly points out the various ways that it's also seen as a really important connective tissue, right? It's more than just an opiate. We latch onto that quote and Mark Perlman said, you know, sport is the opium of the people as well. 
But the Marx quote points to the idea that religion is, quote, um, the heart of a heartless world. So while it can lull us, right, and keep us um, from attending to maybe more important political issues, right, it also gives us something. Religion gives us something. Sport gives us something um, that is really important. Boykoff writes that, quote, the chance of the sports fan are not necessarily the blind yammering, right? He says they can be efforts to make meaning in a cruel capitalist world rigged for the rich, and they can wedge open a path for political conversations we might not otherwise have, end quote. So in many ways, um, thinking about it, is sport really this empty signifier? Or does it offer us a way to... Um, exude these larger issues, values that we find important. What does sport reveal in terms of our own passions, interests, relationships to both the nation state and to one another? Boykoff is is open to what sport might also give us. Redeker, on the other hand, identifies this term that I think is really important for us moving forward um, and we'll come back to as a key term the sportive political and the sportive political really speaks to how he says that sport has quote become an inexhaustible source of arguments and metaphors for political leaders end quote there's a lot of different ways we can think about what that relationship means the source of arguments and metaphors right this idea that we invite olympians we invite folks that win a championship to the White House, for example, is this aligning with the cultural cool, the political power that sport has, for example. That's an example of the sport of political, right? The ways in which we kind of hold these very political things within the realm of sport, right? So the marching, you march in for the opening ceremony, you have the flags, you have the anthems that are played, You have the way that the nation is represented across the bodies of these athletes in their uniforms. It is impossible to have this understanding that there can be any sport aside from politics when the Olympics, as we know, is one of the most politically entrenched um, events that we have on a global scale. The authority of sport over souls that Redeker is complaining about he defines as mutant sport, right? It gobbles up everything in its way. If you think it's like Pac-Man style, right? It's this idea that sport in many ways is bigger than politics. Po- politicians are using sport because it is this, you know, what's called a lingua franca. It's this common language that we understand ourselves in the world around us. Redeker writes that sport is, quote, a total system, a planetary machine that profoundly transforms men and women as well as their relation to the world, end quote. And so thinking about sport as this very powerful thing, of course, makes it a right thing to study, right, from my perspective. And then thinking about it, um, Boykoff is thinking about it as a way to have political conversations we might not otherwise have. Where both Boykoff and Redeker would agree, um, they largely disagree on a lot of things in these two pieces, but they would agree that it's the source of arguments and metaphor for political leaders and really a political space, um, and Boykoff would say, for potentially progress, right, as a people. And Redeker would say it's a place for power, right? They both would say that. This idea that it's mutant, it's taken over, it's, you know, digging in, taking over, eating everything up. 
It's something that we'll have to think about when we think about, for example, the budgets that are allocated, that countries pay all of this money over other important things that could perhaps make their country more equitable, uh, more inhabitable, um, that the Olympics has such a pull that people are willing to sacrifice education, um, helping out those in need to fund an Olympic Games. In our next podcast, we'll talk about chapter one of the Boykoff book, where we get to meet Baron Pierre de Couverton, the father of the modern Olympic Games. Thanks for listening.